0: Well, guys, my name is Gus Hernandez, and I'm one of the pastors here at Reality Church Miami, and we are thrilled that you are worshiping with us this morning. If you're new here, or if you're just starting to come visit, I look forward to getting a chance to meet you after the service. Well, as we get started, I kind of want to make a confession. There's something that I think I know I've done, and I'm going to take a wild guess and assume that you've done this as well. You know what it is it's lying right i think if we're all honest with ourselves from huge lies all the way down to white little lies if we really are truthful with ourselves we will all recognize that at some point in our lives we have been deceptive i mean it can range to as simple as something like this and maybe you can't relate to this maybe it's just me Sometimes you come up with a lame excuse to cancel plans that you really didn't want to go through with to begin with. Anyone guilty of that? It's like, man, you make these commitments. You say, "Yeah, let's do that. Let's go hang out." And then you flake out and you're trying to think of like some random excuse that you can kind of present out there to try to change your mind and switch to something else. Maybe someone presented you with a better option and you want to, like, bail on the first option, go with the second option, right? We go through all these different scenarios, but I got to tell you, in the culture and day and age that we live in today, guys, we have been handed, like, the ultimate trump card for canceling plans. Yo, I'm, I'm kind of feeling, like, this little itch in the back of my throat, you know what I'm saying? It's like I, feel, I got these, like, flu-like symptoms that I, I feel maybe are starting to emerge, right? It's like you throw that out there and it's like, boom, You're done. Like, cancel the plans, move on. Nobody's going to even question it. Now, I know I'm joking about that, and and I don't want to make too light of that. So, please, bro, if you really are feeling flu-like symptoms, like, stay home. Like, we don't want you coming and getting other people sick. But, man, what I say is we all, at some point of our life, have wrestled with bending truth, changing the story for when it benefits us, or making commitments lightheartedly, With no real intention of committing to it, but always trying to position yourself with loopholes to be able to get out of it. In fact, that's actually what Jesus is going to be tackling in this passage on the Sermon on the Mount. Because here's what you're going to come to realize as we study the passage of Scripture this morning. Is that the Jews in Jesus' day, they struggled a lot with loopholes. They love trying to find different loopholes in the law, and they tried to find different ways that they can make commitments but still leave themselves open to break it. And what Jesus comes on the scene here to do is to help elevate their understanding of the law and its requirements. You know, as we've mentioned in the past, we were working our way through the Gospel of Matthew. And in the Gospel of Matthew, we've been studying a portion of Scripture known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's three chapters And it is Jesus' largest collection of teachings found in one spot. And many would say it's some of the most profound teachings that you can really spend your life studying. And we took a break in the Sermon on the Mount as we got to some really intense teachings on relationships. And what we did is we paused there and we zoomed out a little bit and we introduced some different themes on building healthy relationships Through scripture. And now we find ourselves back in the Gospel of Matthew for the next couple weeks as we wrap up this sermon series on uncomplicating relationships. And we're going to look at Jesus challenging the culture, challenging the status quo on the importance of the truth that comes out of our mouth. And if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to do so. Here is basically the main premise, the big idea, the main point of the whole message today. It's going to be wrapped up in one simple sentence, and I want to encourage you to write this down, and it is this. That Jesus expects his followers to speak the truth and to keep their word. That's what we're going to see from this passage. Jesus expects his followers to speak the truth and to keep their word. Let's go ahead and read the scripture passage Matthew 5, 33 through 37 says this, and this is Jesus teaching. And again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it is God's throne or by earth because it is his footstool or by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, Because you cannot make a single hair white or black. And I love this verse. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. And right here we see Jesus tackling the relative weight of different oaths that the culture had established. And he makes this case for simple truthfulness. And how we should just be people that keep our word. And we're going to look at two observations from this passage. The first one is this. Jesus is warning us to avoid unnecessary oaths. That's the first thing we're going to see coming right from the passage. He's warning us from having to take unnecessary oaths. And he starts by summarizing several passages in the Old Testament that tell you if you make an oath, you need to keep your oath. If you make a statement, you should follow through. If you say something, it should be truthful. And he's summarizing several different passages. And before we really dive deeper into what he's trying to communicate, I find that it's sometimes helpful to first rule out what he's not trying to communicate. And I want to be very clear. He's not trying to teach in this passage that we should never take an official oath. For example, like if you go to the courtroom, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. That's not what Jesus is trying to rule out. Because he gives specific examples, and those examples can be found in other writings in culture that show what Jesus was really confronting. He's not going to contradict the teachings of the Old Testament. In fact, a few weeks ago, we studied a passage that said Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Like he came to elevate it, to teach people its rightful understanding. In fact, here are two scriptures from the Old Testament just to validate some of the teachings about truthfulness and making oaths before the Lord. Leviticus 19.12 in the Old Testament says this. Do not swear falsely by my name, profaning the name of your God, for I am the Lord. Here's another one, Numbers 30, verse 2. It says this, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to put himself under an obligation, he must not break his word. He must do whatever he has promised. So, I mean, it's pretty clear in the teachings of Scripture that God cares about us making sure that we follow through with our oaths and our commitments. God cares that we're a people that proclaim the truth. So what is Jesus ultimately getting after here in this culture? Look at the phrase. It says they were swearing by heaven, they were swearing by earth, they were even swearing by Jerusalem, and some were swearing by one's head. And here's the reason why they were doing that. They knew some of those really strong teachings in the Old Testament that mentioned invoking the name of the Lord as you swear and make a promise. They knew the weight of that. So they were trying to come up with a system, a system of loopholes, to be able to say, hey, no, I really mean it. I promise I'm going to do X, Y, Z. And I swear to you by Jerusalem. I swear to you by heaven. And they're trying to do everything in their power to still claim that God is technically a witness, but I'm not going to dare mention him by name. Because in their eyes, they thought that since they didn't mention the very name of God, that it was somehow less binding. It wasn't something that you could hold me to because that would be your way out. That'd be your caveat. I'd be like, well, I mean, I I, got to break this commitment. You know, I I know I promised you this. I know I said I was going to do this, but you know, I didn't technically say I swear by God. And Jesus is kind of sitting there like, "Do, do you guys realize how foolish that sounds? And it's like Jesus helps them to understand what possibly... Could you swear by in the whole realm of creation that would somehow exclude God as being a witness to your words? Oh, you're going to swear by heaven? <laughs> That's, it. That's his throne. You want to swear by earth? It's his footstool. He created it. He has complete dominion over the earth. Oh, you want to swear by Jerusalem? You want to swear facing the direction of Jerusalem? The, the Psalms and the Proverbs mention that Jerusalem is the city of the great king, the Messiah, who will return. And then they switch from like, all oh, right, well, let's not talk about all the things invoking God. I'm just talking about my own body. So it's like you see this weird progression where they move from like the celestial down to earth to a, then to a specific city. And like, well, I just swear on my own, on myself, on my head. And he's like, even in that, he says, God is truly Omnipotent and more powerful than you, you don't even have the power to permanently, naturally change your hair from black to white. And now that I think about it, I mean, some of you are sitting here thinking, like, no, I could change my hair color. Is that, but, but can you though? Because technically it's deception. You're just throwing some dye on there, right? It's not really changing, you're covering up its natural state. And in essence, proves the point it's deception, it's not reality, it's not truthfulness. And Jesus is here confronting and showing them, guys, we have got to move away from this culture that lets us try to make statements and claims, commitments and promises, while knowing in the back of our minds that we are providing loopholes to get out of our commitments. That we have no real intention of honoring our word, but we're looking for a way out. And that shouldn't be. And if we are learning anything from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is teaching us how to be citizens in the kingdom of heaven. And to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is warning us from taking an unnecessary oath, hoping for a loophole to not have to honor our word. And deep down inside, we know that we struggle. We're always looking for loopholes. Our brokenness, our sinfulness is always trying to find a way to get out of certain commitments. And Jesus here in this passage, he's elevating the need for honesty. He's elevating the rightful place of a true oath. And he's reminding people that we don't need to be relying on swearing on all these various things to validate our points. But we should build a life of of character and integrity that stands on its own. Look at the second observation we see from this passage is not only does he want us to avoid unnecessary oaths, Jesus wants us to speak the truth and keep our word. Look at verse 37. It says, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. And right here we see this passage is highlighting the importance of integrity and honesty in every area, and every facet of life for a Christian. In fact, Jesus' followers had been so shaped by these words that you see this teaching show up in a lot of early church history. In fact, even in the New Testament, Jesus' half-brother, James, summarizes this truth in his letter to the church. Look at with me, James chapter 5, verse 12, the half-brother of Jesus writes this, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath, But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no, so that you won't fall under judgment. I think it's clear that Jesus expects his followers to speak the truth and to keep their word. In essence, Jesus is calling us to a life of integrity. And I love that word, but what is integrity? Like if you had to break it down, if you had to define it, What is integrity? You know, if you look at the definition up in a dictionary, some would say it's moral uprightness. But one definition that I loved is integrity is the state of being whole and undivided. It's the idea of being whole and undivided. What Jesus, in essence, is saying is he's calling us to a life of undivided allegiance to his teachings, undivided allegiance to to his lordship. He's calling us to a life recognizing that we are citizens in God's kingdom and that he has a different standard that he expects from us. When you're living with integrity, you're not torn between two different options, between the truth and deception. You're not wrestling back and forth between allegiance to the Lord and allegiance to this world. To live with integrity is to be whole, to be undivided, And here's a truth that I want you to to recognize. Integrity should lead to honesty. Like when you're undivided in your allegiance to the Lord and you want to please him, then you can overcome some of the fears that this present world will try to throw your way that will cause you to want to bend the truth, that will cause you, because of guilt and shame, to try to lie. Integrity should lead to honesty. And here's another development. Like, as you continue to play this out, what is the cause and effect of this? Well, consistent honesty is what leads to dependability. Like, as you develop the consistent honesty in your life, think about how that's going to affect all the relationships around you. You know, I think back to my childhood, and there was something that was very unique to me about my mom. My mom would not make promises very often. In fact, here's why. Because my mom, she was a person of strong conviction that if she ever used the word promise, she always wanted to make sure she came through with whatever it is that she promised. That being said, because she knew that there were a lot of scenarios in life that she couldn't control and there were certain things that she didn't want to commit to, she would rarely use that word. But here's what I did know. If my mom says, yes, I promise I'm going to do that. As a child, I can't think of a time my mom broke a promise to me or my sister. And what did that do for me is like, hey, you know, it was tough because there's so many times I'd come ask her for something. I was like, no. And she was truthful. She's like, no, we're not going to do that. Or, no, I can't promise that. No, I'm not going to do this. But if she ever got to a conclusion where she said, you know what, yeah, I promise you, we're going to do that. I knew that she was a woman of her word and she was going to do it. It truly was amazing for me. That's not to say that she doesn't struggle with deception or lying. But what I know is that the consistency of her holding up her word led to me believing that I could trust her more and more as I grew up. She kept her word. Parents, what a beautiful thing for us to embrace with our children, to be people of the word, that if we speak to our kids and we make promises to our kids, that we show them that we are going to come through with those promises. Even think through how this affects a marriage or a dating relationship, that you consistently are being honest with one another and how that's going to lead to dependability and trust. Now let's talk about the flip side. If we're not consistently telling the truth, how do you think that would impact the relationships around you? If you're constantly being caught in a web of lies, how does that affect one person's view of you? How does that affect your spouse's view of you? How does that, you know, reflect in the workplace? How does that affect the community? How does that affect church? And what Jesus is trying to get at is like, we should be people pursuing lives of integrity that is really elevating the need for consistent honesty within our relationships where we're able to speak the truth and we're able to keep our word. That's what he's trying to get at. That's what he's calling us to do. He wanted total honesty in his followers' speech. Now look at verse 37 because there's an interesting phrase there. Toward the end of verse 37, he says this, anything more than this is from the evil one. And Jesus is basically saying that anyone who relies on these loopholes, on these oaths and over-promising and trying to elaborate and use all these different swearing to try to make a truthful claim, he says, man, if you're following that pattern, you're actually following the pattern of Satan's deception and not the pattern of the Lord. Because your life should stand on its own to validate the claims that you're making, and not all these additional oaths, and not all these additional swearing, like, oh, I swear by this person, I swear upon this, I swear on this grave, I swear by this location. It's like, just, just speak. Let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. And that's what he's calling us to do. He just wants us to do that. And here, here's the deal. Like, if we're gonna pursue a life of integrity, a life of truthfulness, we have to do some soul searching. And one of the things that we have to do is we have to identify the traps that tempt us to lie and bend the truth. And, and here's the first observation. The first thing we got to do is we got to recognize our sinful nature is bent toward deception. In fact, there's this great quote by Mark Twain, and it's kind of comical when you read it, but here, here's what he, sta- he stated He says, A man is never more truthful. Then when he acknowledges himself a liar, (laughs) right? To him, that's the starting point. If we all start there, then we can make improvements. If your senior's like, man, I've never lied. Liar. (laughs) Right? Every single person here at some point has met the truth, has tried. In fact, this is interesting, there are psychological studies that show us that it starts as early as six months. Isn't that crazy? Like at six months, a little baby is already learning deception in the form of fake crying and fake laughter because they're getting a reaction. So they've learned like, oh, wait a minute. If I, if I do this behavior, I get this attention. Or if I practice this behavior, I get this reward, this treat. And even though they're not in pain, even though they're not technically hungry, they've learned that a certain reaction, you know, causes another reaction. And it's very interesting. And then they say, studies say, that by the time they're three to four, they grow in their ability to deceive more convincingly. Now, I got to tell you, man, one of the first ones for me that I can clearly remember from my first child, she was about to turn three. And we're wrapping up a family dinner. My wife gets up from the table. She's putting the dishes away. Then she runs around the wall to, like, get some from the laundry room. I take my plate to the sink. And there's Giada. She's still in her high chair. She's got her bowl of food that she's not wanting to eat. And all of a sudden, I hear this loud whack. The whole plate picked up, tossed against the wall. And so I'm just kind of looking at this like in shock. At this moment, my wife turns the corner. She's like, what was that noise? Who did that? Words of a two-year-old Giada, daddy. (laughs) I was like. Girl, what? I'm standing here by the sink. Like, first of all, I didn't even—I know you didn't just throw me under the bus like that. I'm over here in the kitchen. I'm not even anywhere near you. And and it made me think, man, who taught her to do that? At two years old, who sits there and say, "Kids, let me teach you how to lie. This is what you need to do, right?" None of us. Like, has anyone here ever gone back to their childhood memories and thought, you know what? I remember this one specific moment that my parents sat me down and taught me how to deceive others. (laughs) Isn't it crazy how it's just naturally wired into us? It reminds us of the brokenness and sinfulness that exists in the world today. No one is teaching us to be deceptive. It's just naturally hardwired into our, our way of life. And Jesus comes to bring us hope. And it makes us think, like now that we recognize that Yeah, it is something that we have to overcome, this urge to want to bend the truth, this urge to want to lie and not keep our word. But ask yourself this. These are some questions that I think can help us, and here's one of them. Why do we feel pressure to lie? When When you're faced with a situation where initially you want to bend the truth or you want to withhold certain information, ask yourself in that moment, why am I feeling this pressure to lie? There could be a variety of different reasons. For some, it could be guilt and shame. For some, it's self-preservation. For some of us, we're just trying to avoid consequences we know that we deserve for what we've done. And so we resort to not speaking the truth. Another question to ask yourself is, why do we break our promises and commitments? Like, why do we struggle to follow through with what we say that we're going to do? Why do we struggle with that? You know, for some, some of us have a fear of commitment. It's like we want to do certain things, but we're afraid of locking it in and completely committing to it, and we like the freedom of knowing there's a back door open, there's a loophole available. For some of us, we've lacked developing the discipline to follow through, to do what we say we're going to do, and we need to ask God for help in that, to grow But here's what Jesus is ultimately getting at. If you develop a society and a culture that is not used to speaking the truth consistently, eventually it erodes the trust that is needed to have a healthy society, a healthy relationship. This can go all the way down to a personal relationship, and you can zoom it out all the way to a communal relationship like a church. It has huge ramifications, it has huge implications. And repeated incidents of deception, all they do is they chip away and they break trust. And it's so hard to reclaim that. It's so hard to regain that. And that's why Jesus is helping them see the importance of elevating truthfulness. To not think about it as some haphazard thing like, I mean, it's okay. I mean, it's just a small little thing, it's just a small commitment that I'm breaking, it's just a small little white lie. It's not that big a deal. But what it does is it chips away at trust. It chips away at your dependability. And it slowly hurts you from developing the healthy relationships that we so long and desire for. I wanna ask another question How do you see integrity on the flip side and honesty affecting a relationship? Or if you wanna zoom out, how does honesty and integrity affect a marriage? a dating relationship. You can see it has the reverse effect. Instead of like chipping away and breaking down trust, it enhances it. It builds it. It helps you gain more and more love and affection for one another because you know that when you make statements, you mean what you say. When you make promises, you keep your promise. You follow through with your commitments. You prove to be truly dependable for the other person. It enhances community life. It enhances interpersonal relationships. And that is what Jesus is calling us to do here in this passage. It shouldn't be necessary for us as followers of Jesus to have to swear by all these different realms and different things in order to validate our statements. It's like, well, you know, I really want them to know that I'm telling the truth, so I'm going to swear by X, Y, Z. It's, it's irrelevant. What Jesus is saying is the, the total The sum total of your life, the the consistency day in and day out of keeping your promises, of making truthful statements, that is all you need to validate your words. It's just let your yes be yes. And let your no be no. You don't need to have all of these different oaths. You just need to highlight the importance of speaking the truth and keeping your word. Now, as we wrap up, I want to make sure that we understand what Jesus is saying here in this passage. He expects us as his followers, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, to speak the truth and keep our word. I want to invite you now for a time of reflection and prayer. So if you can close your eyes, I'm going to spend some time in prayer. And I want to provide some opportunities for you to just reflect because This can feel like such a simplistic passage, and it is, and yet I think in all of our minds we are immediately thinking of different scenarios that have surfaced in our minds where we bent the truth, we weren't truthful, we withheld information, and what I want to do is just provide an opportunity for you right here in this space to be able to ask the Lord to forgive you and to pursue an undivided allegiance to a life of integrity and truth that will build healthy relationships. So just take a few moments to just pray before the Lord. And after a few moments, I'll wrap us up in prayer. Father, we come before you recognizing that we all struggle with deception. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness, that you would forgive us of our sin. And Lord, we ask for help. The beautiful promises in scripture is that you equip us with the Holy Spirit to be able to live the life that you call us to live. This isn't something that we can muster up on our own strength, but it's something that we must come to you and rely on you for help. Lord, we cry out to you and say, God, help us to be people who speak the truth in love and a people who keeps our word. May others find us to be trustworthy, dependable people. We do this for your honor and for your glory, and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, guys.